Welcome to the USF Oracle Sports Podcast, where we talk sports with some of USF's best athletes, coaches, and all-around great human beings. My name is Richard Silva. And I'm Francisco Rosa. Let's get into it. Welcome back, Bulls fan, to the USF Oracle Sports Podcast. Um, this week, we're going to be talking about kind of the big game happening on Sunday. You know, I don't know if you know about it, the Super Bowl. Um, I'm here with myself, Richard, and obviously my co-host, Francisco. How you doing, Bulls fans? Excited to get into this big game that's happening um, with the hometown Bucks against the powerhouse Chiefs. And with us today, we have one of the Oracle's newest correspondents, Alberto Camargo. Um, he's from Tampa and a big Bucks fan. Alberto, if you want to introduce yourself. Yeah, absolutely, man. I'm excited to be on the podcast for the first time. Excited to have joined the Oracle. Um, quick thing about me, I'm a junior at USF, just transferred in last semester. And yeah, like you said, I'm a huge Bucks fan and too young to remember the last time they were in the Super Bowl. So this being the first time for me is pretty exciting. Yeah, not only that, but first team ever to play in their home stadium. Should be exciting for all Bucks fans. Unfortunately, because of COVID, it's not filled with, you know, 30,000, 40,000 screaming Buccaneers fans, but they'll be there in spirit. And they I mean, have I, a decent amount of fans in the stands as well. So, yeah, it's going to be about 20,000. And I mean, even if it was a full stadium, I wouldn't have had enough money to go. So it's whatever. <laughs> Hopefully, we'll see what happens. It should be an exciting one. Absolutely. So, even though, um, the Super Bowl isn't exactly USF related because of its proximity to to USF being in Tampa and with the Bucks being in it. We wanted to to dedicate this episode to it's pretty much the biggest sporting event in the country every year. And there's actually some USF ties in this game. Two former Bulls are playing. Um, Jason Pierre-Paul, who attended USF in 2009. And Austin Ryder, who played for the Bulls from 2010 to 2014. Um, so we just wanted to have a discussion about them, their careers at USF, and kind of their pro careers as well, because, you know, USF kind of helped them along the way and um, turned them, helped them become the pros that they are today. Yeah, and like you said, um, you know, JPP and Austin Ryder, they've played now, um, well, almost, not quite a decade ago, but almost. Um, JPP, I think you mentioned earlier, was the uh, the highest drafted bull ever. And full disclosure, I'm a f- massive Giants fan, so Jason Pierre-Paul is a huge part of my childhood. Like, I have so much respect for him for helping us win the championship, and... uh Austin Ryder, actually, he came onto the podcast last year when the Chiefs won the Super Bowl. So shout out to him as well. Big fans of the both of them. Yeah, um, JPP's one of the best players in USF history. If you look at his career, he only played one season here after transferring from Fort Scott Community College. But during his one year here, he had 45 tackles, 16 and a half tackles for loss, and six and a half sacks. 
He was named first-team All-American by Pro Football Weekly. He was a first-team All-Big East selection. That's when the Bulls played in the Big East. And eventually got drafted by the Giants at the 15th pick. I am also a big Giants fan, so JPP, always been a big fan of his and, and, and his work. Um, still hurts me to this day that, that he left and he got traded. Um, he went on to win the Super Bowl 46 with the Giants, um, was a two-time pro bowler with the Giants, um, and a first-team all-pro in 2011. So a lot of his good years were spent with the Giants, but he's kind of had a bit of a, a resurgence here in Tampa. Um, this is his third year with the Bucks, and he made the Pro Bowl this year, had nine and a half sacks, 34 tackles, four forced fumbles, and two picks. Um, so he... I'm happy to see him succeeding here and and playing well, and he should be one of the keys to the to the game for the Bucks. Definitely. And Alberto, if you want to touch on JPP a little bit, because you know, me and Francisco were able to watch the beginning of his career, and now you're watching the tail end of it. So, what are what are your thoughts on uh, on his play and how he's been since he's arrived in Tampa? Uh, I think JPP came with um, quite a bit of baggage from the Giants when they were he was traded here um, back in 2017, I believe it was. And obviously, he had a bit of a high-profile career with the Giants at first, winning the Super Bowl um, not too long after he came into the league. But as everybody knows, or most NFL fans will know, that JPP had the unfortunate injury to his left hand. And after that, it seemed as if JPP was kind of, you know, being ushered out of the league because they wouldn't expect somebody with, you know, um, an injured hand as injured as his was to be able to play in the NFL. But he came back and was able to you know, have a bit of an impact on the Giants, didn't really find his footing again. And when he was traded to the Bucks, it seemed like we were getting a player who obviously had tons of potential, but didn't have the ability to fulfill that potential anymore. But he's been the exact opposite. I think that he's gotten steadily better every season since he came. And obviously now being a pro bowler, that just goes to show the amount of work he put in to get back to his previous level and, you know, even better than he used to be. And if you could, you could argue that, um, I think, you know, coming off the edge is obviously you know, an edge rusher is such an important part of the pass rush and defense in general. And JPP has proved to be a really reliable player on that side of the field and pretty effective as far as, you know, uh, getting in the backfield, troubling the quarterback, getting a hand up to deflect passes as he he's always been one to do. And yeah, generally, I've been really impressed with how he's been able to have like a second prime of his career, you know, now into his early 30s. Yeah, I think it it speaks to JPP's resilience as a player. And not only that, but I think Todd Bowles coming to Tampa also played a big a big role in helping him, you know, have this breakout season because if there's one thing that people know about Todd Bowles is that he likes to blitz and blitz. And when they're done blitzing, they're gonna blitz some more. So it's exactly. no surprise that he's he's had this renaissance in this three four defense that they run and with a lot of a lot of success, you know, the last year he was really dominant in New York was um was 2016 when the Giants had had a really good season, our last really good season actually, and um, it was it was under coach Steve Spagnolo, who's actually the defensive coordinator with the Chiefs now, and that's another guy who just loves to blitz and and give you different looks on every play. So I think um, the system has really fit him well, and it, it's it's been. It's been a revelation to see how well he's played this season um, with the Bucks, and and happy to just see him succeeding. Um, let's pivot towards Austin Ryder now. So 
if JPP's career here at USF was short, but, you know, really impactful, Austin Riders was a lot different. He got here in 2010 out of a high school in Bradenton. So he's he's basically a local JPP. He's from Broward County. Um, he got here in 2010 and he redshirted, didn't play at all. Then his sophomore year, he did not start a single game, but he played along the offensive line and played some special teams. But then his junior year, his well, junior year, but it was really his redshirt sophomore year, he started all 12 games at center, and um, he was named to the to the Remington Trophy Watch, which is which is the 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 award for the best center in the country in college football. He was named to the watch list. In 2014, he started another 12 games for the Bulls, um, and was named to the watch list again. So there were three straight years that he started um, all 12 games. So he was a real Iron Man at the middle of that offensive line and helped Marlon Mack. Um, get a thousand yard season in, in Ryder's senior year. So he was really impactful while, was, while he was here, even though it wasn't, you know, as quick as it was with JPP where he got here and it was just like instant impact. His impact was felt as his career went along. And then his pro career is similarly different because he ended up being a 2015 draft pick by the Redskins, who are now known as the Washington football team, of course. And he was picked with the 222nd pick in the seventh round. So JPP, a first-round pick, Austin Ryder, a seventh-round pick. And he never played for, for Washington, but then he eventually signed with the Browns, started his first game, but in that first game he tore his ACL, then eventually got waived by the Browns, and then got picked up a day later by the Chiefs, and now he's a Super Bowl champion and has been starting on that offensive line protecting Pat Mahomes. So so if you look at their careers, it's kind of resiliency, but in two different ways. You know, JPP had the setback with his hand and Austin Ryder, like just a bunch of setbacks throughout his career. Like it just wasn't instant success anywhere he went. He really had to work for it. So that's something that you can say about both of these pools is that they were able to, you know, to churn out really successful careers in the NFL despite, you know, obstacles that they faced. Yeah, I like how you put that where um, they both had adversity in sort of two different ways. Um, but talk about, like, a, a home that Austin Readers found where, you know, it, an incredible offense, obviously, with Patrick Mahomes. is, And he's going to make all 11 guys' jobs easier on offense. But, you know winning the Super Bowl last year and then getting back to it this year without spoiling my um, my Super Bowl prediction. Hint, hint. I think they might get another one. Um, sorry, Bucks fans. Um, but, yeah, I'm, you know, great for both of them to be able to find success really in, like, a resurgent part of their both of their careers. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's interesting that, like how Francisco put it, that they had adversity in two very different ways, right? You have Austin Ryder, who's the typical NFL player that – it seems like it's, you know, NFL stands for not for long. Like he wasn't going to have a very long career, especially after the ACL injury. But being able to work his way back into not just starting for an NFL team consistently, but the Super Bowl champions and now two-time AFC champions. It's a, it's a, a really good story of your perseverance through, you know, not being touted as like the top guy and, and working your way into a team. And with JPP, it's the exact opposite, right? He was a first-round pick, very highly touted, had a great early career 
had his adversity, worked his way back, and now he's back to the mountaintop. And um, it's two stories of USF alumni who are who you know worked their way through each individual problem that they had. Um, one thing I wanted to say about JPP is I knew he came in the league in 2011. A part of me thought that maybe he was a freshman on that USF team that was like number two in the country for about a week or two <laughs> until they, um, they they fell off that that really crazy year that USF had in football. But obviously doing some research, I found out he didn't come to the school until 2009. But um, that was kind of in my mind. I thought, oh, yeah, of course he was on that team, like really talented player, really good team. Um, not quite as didn't quite work out that way. But um, I think that it's, you know, it's interesting to see that not only are there two players from USF who will be playing against each other in the Super Bowl, but they will be directly facing each other, right? JPP at some point could find himself being blocked by Austin Ryder. Yeah, and that's a that's a really good transition into our next segment. Um, we kind of wanted to talk about some of the key matchups in, in Sunday's game. Um, so let's dive right into it. And when you look at this game, there's one thing that really sticks out to you, and it's the two quarterbacks that are going to be playing. You know, you have the GOAT in Tom Brady, um, six Super Bowl titles, 10 Super Bowl appearances, which is just insane. But then you have Pat Mahomes, who, when it's all said and done, could very well be in contention for that title as well as the greatest of all time, because he, by, there's no doubt he's had the greatest start to any NFL career ever. Um, first year as a starter, wins the MVP, makes it to the NFC Championship game. Second year as a starter, makes it to the Super Bowl, and won Super Bowl MVP. And then now, third year as a starter, back in the Super Bowl again. And um, the odds are that if they win, Pat Mahomes will probably be the reason. So um, just an incredible pair of quarterbacks and one of the most interesting matchups that we've seen in the Super Bowl in a while. Um, so let's just dive right into that. Um, Richard, what are your thoughts on this matchup? Yeah, I um I was talking to my dad about this, and I told him it's the goat versus the baby goat. Um, Patrick Mahomes is on his way, and I think the craziest thing is this is sort of a testament to to Tom Brady. One of my friends, he's I believe like a couple months away from. Oh, him and Mahomes are very similar in age, like five months off difference, and then his father is like the same amount of difference from Tom Brady. So it's like that. It's that's crazy. It's like a father son. Um, match or um going head to head in the super bowl but yeah and i think the craziest stat that i heard about mahomes is that so like you said he's been in the league three years now um or no excuse me been in the league four years started three he has not lost a game yet when that he started by more than one possession legitimately in every game that he started in they had an opportunity to win that he has not got blown out I think the last time he got he lost by more than one possession was in 2016 with um, with the Red Raiders. So and, I, that's, that boggles my mind. And you have to think that, you know, a couple of years ago, if D4 doesn't line up offsides in that AFC championship game against the Patriots, who knows? This could be Pat Mahomes' try for a third Super Bowl. Right. You know, I, I think that if they would have won that game, they would have beaten the Rams. Especially the way the Rams played in that game. Yeah, I think they I, would have beaten the Rams handedly. Yeah, I, oh. I think I think the Chiefs would have. Sorry. Um, no, go ahead. I think the Chiefs would have ran him off the field. Uh, the Rams. Another interesting stat about Mahomes that I read, actually just about Mahomes and Brady together, is that 
Um, Tom Brady is just seven years younger than Patrick Mahomes Sr. And that's, a, that's another indication of how Richard said that it's it's almost as if it could be a father and son matchup in the Super Bowl, which I don't think we'll ever see again, right? Um, Patrick Mahomes is, like you were saying earlier, the baby goat, right? He's got a chance, if he can continue this pace, to become the greatest quarterback of all time. And having started with uh, potentially two Super Bowls within his first four seasons in the league and three seasons as a starter, that's interestingly, it'd be about the same pace that Tom Brady started at as well, because Tom Brady came in as a backup to Drew Bledsoe, um, won the Super Bowl that year, and then had two more within his first two years and then three within his first four. And I mean, I wouldn't be surprised at all if Patrick Mahomes, you know, matched that same number. And in 15 years, we might be looking at him playing for the Chiefs still having won his fifth and sixth. It's very possible. In fact, I'd be surprised if it doesn't happen, frankly. <laughs> and a um, uh, last little bit of word I wanted to say about the quarterback matchup was that I think this game is really important in the sense that like when people compare players as you know, we say Patrick Mahomes might be the greatest of all time when it's all said and done. Tom Brady probably is currently the greatest of all time. You know, personal accolades, team accolades, it all matters. So right now, uh, Patty is sitting at one uh, Super Bowl, of, of course, and Brady's got six. I think this is really important because if Patty wins, you know, he's going to be four behind um, Brady and have the rest of his career to catch him. If Brady wins, he th- not only does he move to five he extends it to six because he stops Mahomes from winning one so he'd mm-hmm. have seven while Mahomes has one and you know as great as Mahomes is six championships is hard uh, additionally to the ones to the one that he already has so I think that's really important and I, I think what's what's important to think about here is that if Brady beats Mahomes Mahomes could have an amazing career but I don't think he he'll have the opportunity to be named the greatest of all time, just for the fact like you weren't able to beat that guy in the playoffs. You faced him twice, you lost to him twice. Now the first time it might have not have been his fault because you know the whole D Ford situation, but um, that game was insane. Um, but yeah, I think this game is really important to to. I think it's more important to Mahomes' legacy than Brady's because Brady's has already been solidified. You I know, do. I think after that Atlanta game. You're just like, okay, you got to give it to him, love him or hate him, which, you know, most of the most of the league hates him. But um, love him or hate him, you got to admit that he's the greatest ever player the position. So, um, yeah, this game is more important to, to Mahomes' legacy, at least to me. Um, oh, I agree. Moving on, our next key matchup of the game is the secondary versus the wideouts. Um, both teams have explosive playmakers on the outside um the chiefs have i think the chiefs have the two best um receiving weapons in the game and tyree kill and travis kelsey but the bucks aren't far behind in um in mike evans and chris godwin um and that secondary secondary is going to be key for both teams you know chiefs are going to need honey badger to be out there breaking up plays left and right, um, stopping Mike Evans and Chris Godwin because they kind of had a field day against um, Green Bay at Kevin King's expense because Kevin King <laughs> burnt all game long. So they're going to need Honey Badger big time in, in this game and, and Juan Thornhill as well. Um, on the Bucks side, they have to do something different because when, when these two teams matched up earlier in the season, Tyreek Hill went ballistic 
went white hot, whatever adjective you want to use for it, he just went crazy because the first quarter, he had seven receptions for 203 yards. And the reason for that being they tried to cover him one-on-one. And that is just not something you can do with Tyreek Hill. He has Olympic-level speed, and he will burn any cornerback or safety you put on him one-on-one. Yeah, so, it was it was just a sorry, it was I just wanted to say it was a bad game plan by defensive coordinator Tom Bowles and didn't it, he didn't seem to adjust until it was far too late, right? You probably should have adjusted when he had 100 yards, not 200, but <laughs> it well, it's it is what it is. Obviously, he knows about it this time. But but here's the thing. If you're going to adjust Kansas City just has so much that they can kill you with cuz if you adjust you know, doubling Tyreek or something like that, Travis Kelsey could kill you over the middle. Or they could go to, I don't know, I'm not sure if he's playing, but Sammy Watkins. Or they have good receiving backs. Um, Even DeMarcus Robinson. They have DeMarcus Robinson was put on the COVID. um, I saw he was put on the, um, yeah, he was put on like the the protocol list. But as long as he, um, as long as he continues to test negative, I think he'll be able to play. Okay, so DeMarcus Robinson. And they also have good receiving backs in, you know, Le'Veon Bell. I feel like it's been very understated how important Bell could be in this game. But I think he he could break out. Andy yeah, absolutely. very creative. He's very good at keeping a card under his sleeve that he'll just whip out of you at, the, at a moment where you don't expect it. Ask the Browns. You think they were expecting um, Chad Henney to throw that pass to Tyreek Hill on the on fourth down. I don't think any of us did. So you never know what the Chiefs are going to do. And that's what makes them so dangerous. So I think that this is definitely one of the key matchup matchups of this game. Yeah, I think um, the exact matchup that I'm worried, not that I'm worried about, that I'm looking at is the Bucks D versus the uh, Chargers offense, obviously. Because I think Antron Winfield was a little bit banged up. And I, I don't remember what his exact injury is. I'm sure he's going to play. It's the Super Bowl. Who knows when you're going to get back here? Um, but yeah, give it, you know, giving safety help to some of these corners, Murphy Bunting and Carlton Davis is going to be massive. And I, Antoine Winfield has had one of, if not the defensive rookie of the year season. So I think he's going to be, um, a massive piece to this game. And one thing I wanted to touch on that um, Francisco mentioned is that Andy Reid has, you know, a lot of tricks up his sleeve for big plays to throw out in random times. And I think that's something that Bruce Arians has shown as well for the Bucks offense. As, um, you know, if you notice in the NFC Championship, six seconds left in the first half when probably the entire stadium thought they were going to kick a field goal, they throw it deep to Scotty Miller for a touchdown. That's an interesting matchup of two coaches who aren't afraid to take that risk and aren't afraid to go for the big play when it's not expected. So um, it's an interesting matchup of coaches who are willing to take that risk and willing to um, get big points when they have the chance. I honestly can't believe that I forgot to mention Scotty Miller. I think <laughs> he has that kind of effect on you. You kind of forget. Yeah. You kind of forget about him until you know he's running down the field, scoring a, a fifty-yard touchdown at that. Yeah, absolutely. So he can just spring up on you, but you also got to remember a certain man named Antonio Brown is also <laughs> this game. Somehow Antonio Brown's the third receiver on the depth chart. <laughs> the Chiefs are gonna have their hands full. Luckily, they have um, enough firepower to hit them back with. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's going to be really fun to see how that turns out. 
I think that, um, you know, in the championship round, I kind of wanted the Packers to make it because um, I really love Aaron Rodgers and the way he's been playing this season. But if you look at it on paper, this is this is these are the two teams that should be here, you know, based off talent. Um, and it's going to be it's probably the most fun matchup as well, you know, um, just based off, you know, receivers and the secondary and the quarterbacks and all of it has just come together to form like one beautiful defensive mess that we're probably going to see tomorrow (laughs) or Sunday. And that's something that I'm really excited to see. Um, So let's move on to our final key matchup. And for me, this is going to be where the game is won or lost. Like it is in most football games, the, the O-line versus the D-line on both sides. Um, For anyone that's ever watched the Tom Brady Super Bowl. You know, the the three that he lost, um, they were able to get to him, move him off, move him off his spot, and that's where you get your advantage because then he's missing throws. He's not as accurate when you move him off his spot. So if, if you know, Chris Jones and Frank Clark and them are able to, to you know, collapse the pocket around Brady and make a move, they're going to have a better shot at winning. You know, that's always been the secret of beating Tom Brady. You know, the Giants knew it. With Osio Mignura and Michael Strahan, um, Justin Tuck, um, and then in 2011, JPP, and then in in 2017, was it was that the Eagles Super Bowl 27? Mm-hmm. Was you know Fletcher Cox and Brandon Graham, Brandon Graham that that got him, you know, stripped him. So that is the formula to beating Tom Brady. Um, Chris Jones is one of the best D tackles in the league. So if they're able to get that interior pressure on him. I think um, that'll be that'll be it for Tampa. And then you could say the same thing on the other side for for Kansas City as well. You know, Mahomes is a little bit more mobile, well, a lot more mobile actually than Tom Brady. Um, Tom Brady isn't really mobile per se, but you know, Aaron Rodgers is pretty dang mobile, and JPP and Shaq Barrett and and that D line were able to get after him. You know, just just abused them. And the Packers had one of the best O-lines the entire year. But there was one thing. Their starting left tackle was out. Yeah, Bakhtiari. Bakhtiari was out. They were able to get to him. And guess who was out for the Kansas City Chiefs? <laughs> They're starting Eric Fisher. Yeah. Eric Fisher towards Achilles. So Mike Remmers will be starting at left tackle. Richard and I have experience with Mike Remmers at one of the tackle positions. It's not good news. So, uh, you know, J- I think JPP and Shaq Baird, Vita Vea, um, they're going to be able, you know, to get home against this O-line. Um, Austin Reader is going to have his hands full with, with Nick Domican, too, and, and Vita Vea and, and that massive D-line that the Bucks have. So this is one of the really exciting pieces of the game that it's going to be a real chess match, and it's where the game's going to be won or lost. Yeah, and I think another uh, point to add to the fact that there's so much firepower and name recognition in this match, in this matchup, is that you know the Bucks defense. You mentioned a few names there: Indominus Sue, JPP, Vita Vea. Um, we haven't even mentioned the fact that they still have Levante David. If he plays, it's not positive he's going to play yet. Also, Devin White, probably the most impressive second-year player on you know on the Bucks defense out of all the young players they have, and it just goes to show that there are so many. Uh, in, big names and names you will recognize for you know past successes that 
Sometimes you forget about the fact that they may have an impact. Like you said, Antonio Brown, the third receiver on a team, he might have two catches a game and you'll be like, oh my gosh, that's Antonio Brown. Like a couple of years ago, he was one of the best receivers in the league, period. And it's, it really goes to show, like you said, this is the best matchup possible because it's not just the best um, matchups for the football nerds who want to see like the offensive line, see if they can block each defensive line. It's also for the casual fans who will know who Patrick Mahomes and Tom Brady are. They'll have heard the name Jason Pierre-Paul. They know who Tyreek Hill is and Travis Kelsey. It's like the best of both worlds for any type of football fan who wants to tune in. Definitely. And I think, uh, like you said, you touched on Mike Remmers. We might see some former giant on former giant crime in the Super Bowl. <laughs> um, no, but yeah, I think, you know, like you said, that's where the game is going to be won. The way to beat Brady, like you said, is to get him off his spot, put pressure on him, knock down his passes, get in his face. And I think, um, you know, the the or excuse me, the Chiefs can do that, and they probably will do that with the injuries that are on the um, Bucks line. Excuse me, not on the injuries that are on the Bucks line. All right, so now that we've highlighted the key matchups, gone over our alumni, we, we're going to give our predictions for the big game on Sunday. So, um, Alberto, if you want to go first, our lone Bucks fan, I feel like I have a clue as to who you're going to pick in this game. Well, uh, let me be honest with you guys. What I want to do for a career is be a sports journalist, right? Part of that requires me getting rid of my uh, biases and my subjectivity. I have to be objective. Um, unfortunately, I'm not a sports journalist yet professionally, so I'm going to stay subjective. And I'm going to say Bucks win by a score of 30 to 29. Let's just, let's just go one point game. Let's say, okay. let's say it's either won or lost at, in the final seconds by a missed or made field goal. Don't know by who, but I'm excited to see who misses or makes it. Interesting, interesting. Richard, if you want to go next. Yeah, for me, I definitely think a lot of points are going to be put up on the board. I'd say I'm going to take the Chiefs. I'm sorry, Bucks fans. I'm sorry, Alberta. <laughs> um, 34-24, something in that realm, I think. Um, yeah, I just think the Chiefs are going to put up a lot of points, four or five touchdowns. And I just I don't know if the Bucks are going to be able to keep up. So you guys... You guys went a little closer than I did. I admittedly made the spread a bit bigger. Um, I chose the Chiefs. I chose them 38 to 24. But the score is going to be, it's not going to be indicative of how close the game is going to be. I think it's going to be a one touchdown game late in the fourth quarter. And then Pat's going to launch one in time. <laughs> is going to fall under it to to, to seal it and, and put them up two scores. Um, I just think the Chiefs have so much offensive firepower. And on top of that, their defense, ever since the playoffs have come around, like I feel like there's this narrative that the Chiefs don't have a good defense. But I feel like whenever the playoffs come around, they do just enough to get you there. They do just enough. And I think they'll do just enough to get the Chiefs over the hump. And, you know, I watched Brady a lot last game. You know, he had a brilliant, a brilliant first half. You know, the Mona Lisa of first halves. He was, he was great. But then in the second half, threw three picks, you know. And I don't think I really saw Brady play a complete game this season. Like, just from start to, start to finish, like, just perfection like we have seen in past years. So I think um, 
I think the Chiefs take this one, but I think it's going to be close, and then they get another one to pull away. Um, sorry, Bucks fans. Sorry, Tampa. Um, <laughs> but it's 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 the Chiefs' time, and I really do think that the Chiefs have the the chance to become one of the real dynasties in NFL history. Now, um, they're so young. A lot of their key pieces are going to be around for a while. Um, Pat Mahomes is going to be around for the next 10 to 15 years, and he could very well go on to go on a Patriots-esque kind of stretch, you know, um, win a couple, maybe have a Valley lose to, you know, Daniel Jones a couple times, and then before um, coming back and winning a few in a row. But, yeah, I think I think the Chiefs run away with this one at the end. Yeah, Kinsel Francisco is not quite objective yet either. <laughs> <laughs> not quite objective, but... Um, all right, so um, thank you, Bulls fans, for tuning into this episode of the Oracle Sports Podcast. Let us know what your predictions are. Um, you know, tweet at us on Twitter, um, Facebook. Let us know what you guys think is going to happen in Sunday's game. It's a big one. So thank you for listening. And on behalf of Alberto and, and Richard, um, have a nice weekend and enjoy the game. <laughs>